Welcome again. I am Pastor Lori, and I am beyond excited to welcome to the stage Scott Martin and also Pastor Mike. We are both, we are but I am excited to invite you up here too. I am, um, yeah, we are just really excited that Scott and his family are here. We have really enjoyed a lot of time together already this yes. week. Um, but I, I know you guys are going to be excited to hear what he has to say for us uh, or what, to us this morning as well. So thank you all for joining us. And now I would like to just take a minute and just pray for Scott before he teaches. Okay. Thank you. God, oh, we just can't say thank you enough for the ways that you have provided for this community, the ways that you have directed our path. And now the ways, God, that you have directed the Martin's path, we believe here. We believe this is the place, this is the family that you have called them to be a part of. God, you have just made it so, uh, just so clear for all of us. We pray, God, for, for just our, our brothers and sisters in this community that they would see that so clearly today too. God, we, we are grateful for Scott. We are here to listen to the words that you have given to him to speak to and over us this morning. We trust you. We know, again, that you are here with us. Um, and we just look forward to the ways that you are going to reveal yourself today and throughout the rest of this search journey. God, we love you and we trust you and we praise you. And we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you, everybody, for having us here. We're excited. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate so many of you just being hospitable beyond belief. We've received gifts. We've received so many hugs, and we already feel like family. And the worship team, I'm kind of angry at you, actually, because as I look over at my wife during the third song, and she's, like, starting to bawl, I'm like, okay, I can't cry, because then it'll be just a disaster. So I just look straight forward and just sing the words on the screen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, everybody who's been so hospitable. Uh, specifically, the, the search team, just want to say thank you to them, to the entire staff, and to the Wise Council. We are just incredibly grateful, incredibly grateful, and excited to, uh, to have this opportunity to preach. And I would say that this opportunity to preach has come over the course of numerous weeks of me kind of thinking, where do I want to go with this sermon? Before I jump in, I want to pick a picture of my family up on the screen so you can see them. Uh, this is my amazing family. If you don't like me, you'll love them. Um, they're amazing. They're amazing. Uh, we have Evelyn, who is uh, right next to me to my left on that screen picture there. And then uh, next to them is Ezekiel and Lily. And they're not here because if they were, they'd be on stage with me. They are just rambunctious, exciting kids uh, who, are, who are very athletically gifted. And then on the backside, there, there's James. And James is an amazing uh, young man. And of course, my beautiful wife, Carissa, who I'm just grateful for, for for following me all the way to Tallahassee. We never thought God would lead us here, but here we are, and I definitely feel called. So with that in mind, I wanna jump into the sermon. And to do that, I wanna get a little audience participation in for those of you worshiping with us online, just for you to think through this song. Now, I don't want you to sing along with me. That's the key to this. If you know the song, just stay quiet. But how many of you know this song, okay? Sometimes I feel discouraged and think I've lost my way. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. There is a bond. In Gilead, 
to heal the wounded soul. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal, to heal the sin sick. How many of you know that song? Now, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. How many of you know the song ended poorly? It didn't end right. Keep your hands. Raise your hand. How many of you want to sing that last note? Yes. This is torture to musicians, just so you know what I just did there. Music is structured in a way that you go back to what's called the the tonic, the ending note. And I'm not going to sing it. This is torture for me as well. (laughs) It's like if you go, merrily, 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 life is but a... Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't sing the last... (laughs) This is a fun game that we play as musicians sometimes. And I'll do it as a a music student back in my undergrad. But it's an an internal drive that you want to complete the song. And an incomplete song just feels hollow. It feels like I am missing a key part of, of what the music's trying to convey. We all know, and we all intrinsically know, that that song should have ended on the word soul with a note. And when you hear that note, you say, okay, this song is over. But leaving without the resolution means that there's a part of me that's saying, oh, it's incomplete. I've been feeling the, the feeling of completion in many ways in my life recently as we prepare to hopefully move to Tallahassee here very, very soon. We're targeting for that early August time to get here before school and praying for a house or for an apartment or some sort of place where we can place our our, our heads on a pillow at night. But as we prepare for that, our house in Lincoln, Nebraska, which those of you who don't know, it's in the middle of the country surrounded by a bunch of other states. And and Lincoln, Nebraska, I'm completing house project after house project. The little bit of paint, the little bit of trim, the little bit of tile, whatever it was that I said, oh, I'll do that later, I'm completing daily. And it's a great feeling because our bodies are built biologically to feel that. We get a rush of something called dopamine. We get the same rush when we get a buzz in our cell phones, which is kind of interesting in this day and age. We get the same rush for those gamers in the room where if you complete a level on Mario Brothers, you say, yay, I I completed something for the day. And so biologically, we're, we're, we're made to feel this goodness when we complete something. But it goes beyond biology. It goes beyond music theory even that there's something in us that wants to feel completion. And what's interesting is as Christians, we have our faith that someday we'll see the race mark before us and the finish line of that race, where we get to see Jesus Christ face to face. We get to see God, God's self, in the fullness of God, and behold God's face in relationship, but it's not quite yet. But as Christians, we have the joy Knowing what that last note of the heavenly song is going to sound like, we just don't hear it sung quite yet. It's with that in mind that I want to open up and really involve ourselves in a chapter of a book called 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a book that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and I believe it's actually several snippets of several letters that probably got grouped at some point together in one giant 2 Corinthian letter. Now, this letter to 2 Corinthians is what I call Paul's sarcastic letter. Paul is very sarcastic, which makes him so likable to me. 
<laughs> I have a, a streak of sarcasm sometimes, and it's always very, very joyful and playful and most of all self-deprecating, but this sarcastic letter has several purposes, and they're very good purposes that Paul's writing. First of all, it's to condemn poor teaching to this Corinthian church. They did not have the benefit of Zoom back in Paul's day, and they're better for it, amen? That was a good amen, church, wow. There are people who do not like Zoom in this room, I'll keep that in mind. We love you online. Here's, here's, here's the point, though, is that all these people of this Corinthian church had no idea. They didn't have 2,000 years of church theology, of church history, of doctrine, of good teaching. They had to understand that they were the very firsts of a new kind of humanity, of a humanity that believed they had eternal life after this life. Secondly, they wanted to re- he wanted to relieve a visit, a personal visit to them. It would be very expensive, very time-consuming. And so he writes these letters to condemn these poor teachers, but he also writes it to say, I don't want to have to come to you because I have all these other churches to plant. I have all this other work to do. I have all these other churches that I'm the birther of and I'm in charge of to some level, so I don't want to have to travel to you. Thirdly, to demonstrate care, which is obviously a very good Christian trait to have. And then lastly, remind them of the core tenets of the gospel. So with those four emphasis in mind, we're coming off into chapter three, starting at verse seven, into a section of text that follows a very sarcastic reprimand where Paul is saying to him, to the Corinthian church, do I need a letter of recommendation to you? I'm the one who helped start you. I don't need a letter of recommendation. And now he comes into a very good teaching point, starting at verse seven. Let's go and hear the word of the Lord. Now, if the ministry that brought us death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if it was, was transitory, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Paul's using in this section, a, as we observe the text, a tool called comparison, of contrast. And he's contrasting the law, which is the entirety of the Old Testament, to the law of the Spirit. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law, especially if you use Jesus and the Spirit to look back upon the law of understanding what its purpose was. But the law by itself does not bring eternal life. The law by itself just brings condemnation. The law by itself does not bring freedom that the Spirit gives I always cringe just a little bit of people, and there's nothing wrong if you're one of those people who are so locked in on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are beautiful, and they're very useful for Christians. But we have to realize that Paul's saying here is that the Ten Commandments don't bring everlasting life. It is the Spirit of God being able to understand those Ten Commandments and the entirety of the law that is the one that brings everlasting life. So pronounced is this contrast between the two salvation economies that what was once considered glory now appears scarcely glory at all. As one Bible theologian wrote, if the sun is up, you don't know that the moon is very bright. This old covenant belonged to a vanishing order. And it falls along with this face of Moses. Now, we all know Moses from the Old Testament. We all know Moses who led those slaves out of Egypt. But Moses' face, to many who maybe have forgotten or never knew, Moses' face for a period of his life was a human glow stick. 
We know glow sticks. My kids love glow sticks. You break them and they glow for a while. And at night, they look amazing. In the morning time, not so cool. But Moses' face would come out from meeting with God and it would glow. And the rest of the people were so, I mean, freaked out that they asked him to put a veil over his face. And that would come in key in a moment. Now, for me personally, I would love to have the ability to have my face just glow a little bit, especially in the middle of the night when you have to get up and use the bathroom, right? <laughs> if there's a button on my ear, I turn it on and I could see where I was going and not trip over myself like I always do. But in all seriousness, this was very disturbing for those Israelite people. And how interesting would it be for Moses himself? Moses' face, we don't know when this happens or how it happens, but through the first five books of the Bible, his face begins to fade the longer they go through that desert. And it's interesting because it parallels that this Old Testament theology is brand new and it brings the people joy and they're saying, yes, we're a part of it. And then immediately they start making a golden calf. Immediately they show it doesn't work. It will not last. And this is Paul's point as we go back to verse 12 now. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now if the Lord is spirit, and where there is spirit is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image. Don't miss this part. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Under this new covenant, it's not one man, it's not Moses, who, who, who has this glowing face, but all of us have faces which are beginning to shine more and more daily by the work of the Spirit. Moreover, unlike the Jews who still read the law with veiled hearts, as Paul says, Christians behold in the mirror the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who converts us, who liberates us, who transforms us daily, allowing us more and more to hear the notes of the heavenly song, as my analogy brings forth. And moreover, the ending note that barely eludes our heavenly ears. So understanding this passage, I want to make two interpretive points and then three application points for us to leave this room with this morning. The first interpretive point is this, there is freedom in Christ. Yes, that's a, that's a phrase you should say amen to. I'm going to teach you, church, okay? There's freedom in Christ. Amen. You say online too, amen, okay? There's freedom in Christ. There's the old covenant, which is great. Which, which tells us what is right and wrong. It tells us the speed limits. It tells us the signals, which streets to follow. But the new covenant says, hey, you already have the map. Now I'm gonna hold your hand as we walk through the streets of gold. I'm gonna give you exactly where you need to go. There's the law versus the gospel. There's rules versus spirit. And this spirit gives us the freedom to know exactly where we need to lead our lives. And what Paul is saying, stating by saying this, taking my older analogy of, of the song, it is not remarkable that we know what the ending note sounds like. To heal the sin sick. You know what the ending note is. But, but don't sing it. I heard you online. It's not that we, that it's, that it's, that's how, it's that we can even know the song at all. 
that we can even sing this song with any sort of, 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 of audacity. Friends, we have no right to come before God. As we are, we're sinful creatures. But God makes the way through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we are being transformed into God's true image daily. To use the early example, we know that each day we are learning a new note to the heavenly song. That each day our face becomes a little bit more like that glow stick and less like our own. And see, the fact of the matter is, is that daily we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ is a remarkable thing because it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or if you're brand new to this place for the very first time, we are all on this journey together. So that might let's apply this. First application, you are being transformed and I am too. That's the perfect segue. Which makes my role in this pastor position so interesting. I don't get to be the foreman who sees the final brick laid on the proverbial building. I don't get to be the baker who puts the literal cherry on top. And I don't get to be the ranch hand who raises the livestock, then who goes off into, into the, to the community of, of, of all this, this livestock. No, these are all God's roles. God is the one who puts the cherry on top, who puts the final brick on the building, and who does all the work with the livestock. I am just a person who has the audacity to say that I'm on this journey with you and I'm a co-journeer with you and I've been called into this role. Which gets us to our second application point. My role as pastor equips but does not do the work of the Lord. What I get the opportunity to be, friends, is a cheerleader, a counselor, a visionary, a companion, and in all the terms, the fullness of the word pastor Uh, seeing you transformed, and more importantly, to see his image revealed in you as verse 18 indicates in 2 Corinthians. These roles as pastor equips, but does not do the work that God does. My role helps lead, helps focus, and makes space for God to do the work. This is the job that requires a calling which I believe I've had for my entire life. While I was born in literally the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, little town called Bridgeport, Nebraska. You won't find it on a map. And I grew up in the United Methodist Church in eastern Nebraska. It is my work in Reformed churches, in non-denominational churches, in Baptist churches, in a Catholic prayer ministry where I taught for years, in various other ministries to prisoners, to orphans, to refugees, in redesigning buildings, in working with an insurance agency, in helping with the poor and the rich, with technology and hymnals, and having a passion to do this work, which has the audacity of saying, yes, I am the one who needs to move across this country and be all those roles, but realize that I'm a part of the journey with you. I'm hopeful that for the next couple of decades, you'll get to know me and I'll get to know you. This is not going to be one of those sermons where I reveal all the skeletons in my closet. There's a few. There's nothing alarming, by the way. I have lots of great stories of me being locked out in a third story during a snowstorm. I have lots of great stories of being lost in woods in Kentucky. But those aren't the sermon this morning. It is for me to say that God is working in me and in all of us 
to co-create the kingdom of God right here in Tallahassee, Florida. Right here in the entire world as we welcome Ugandan missionaries from so far away. I see a great future and an immediate need for E3 Church. It is evident from every wise council member and from every person I've come into contact with over my time here. A desire to see God proclaimed and this church flourished, friends. I see it in his staff, wherever they are, they're all over. I see it in his staff who is passionate and is committed to the work of E3 that they've been gifted in the roles that they work with. And to the whole staff, I want to say loudly, I am excited to join you in this work. The past has been challenging and is not unlike what other churches are going through post-pandemic. My church in Lincoln, Nebraska has had the same struggles that you all have, to be honest. But as I stand with, as I shared with Wise Council, excuse me, as I shared with Wise Council, is a response of someone going through trauma to take two, one of two different choices. All of us have heard of PTSD, right? PTSD is something that is real and that people need help with, and it's something that has affected my personal family as well. But most people have never heard of PTG. It's called post-traumatic growth. And somebody who goes through any traumatic event has one of two choices, and it's not always their choice. They can either find stress and have to deal with that stress, and it's a real thing, or they can find that they have growth, growth beyond what they ever could have imagined them going through. The greatest picture of this is in a plant, actually. Where I come from, it freezes a lot more than it does here. Amen to that for me. <laughs> we had snow up to here at some points last year. <laughs> Please don't tell me you have that here. A plant who goes through a freeze oftentimes will wither and die. But isn't it interesting that biologists can confirm that when a plant goes through the freeze, it equally has an opportunity to flourish all the more and be twice as strong. Friends, I believe that E3 Church, though the trauma it's gone through over the past has had tra trauma and real trauma, there is a lot of people who are going in that PTG growth, Mark. And I'm excited to be a part of it. I believe that E3 is primed to be stronger than ever and to find post-traumatic growth. But to do that, we must ask ourselves an individual and a collective question. It's that there's this, where is a veil and where is their spirit? We all have our veils. Remove your veils. Remove the idea that God doesn't want all of you as individual and all of you as a church. And that means removing veils amidst this community as well. No longer can we hide behind masks that our society's asked us to put on. To give some examples, Democrat, Republican, old or young, male or female, native or foreigner, no matter what your race, your gender, or any other label from the outside world puts on you on that veil, take it off before the Lord. Take it off before the Lord to the entire E3 church and let God reveal daily the shining face that he wants you to be. As we head into a new season, it is my hope that you would accept me and my wonderful family with equal enthusiasm as we embrace you. And just as you would embrace others around you as well. Who needs a call from this church you haven't seen in a while? Who needs reaching out the good news of Jesus Christ in your world, no matter where you are? Where can the Spirit of God be unleashed in you and around your life? Moving day by day towards Christ allows for some scary moments, but it'll undoubtedly give us an opportunity for that ending note that we can hear 
of our testimonies to be experienced even when we can't quite hear it. Where is that ending note? It is in faith, it is in hope, and friends, it is embedded in your very soul. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the ways in which you move in huge ways, in ways that we can't quite discern or see, and yet you move by your spirit in bringing forth newness out of old, in bringing forth creation out of chaos, in bringing forth redemption where there needs renewal. God, I pray for each and every soul sitting in this room that they would remove their veils, that they would listen for that ending note, and that they would reflect the glory of being in relationship with you, their eternal Father, more and more and more. And I pray, God, that even that their faces might glow because there is freedom through you and through your spirit. Lord, I ask your blessing over our worship and over any ministry that I'd have the opportunity to do here and pray all together saying amen. Let's stand and sing.